The following audio is from the 39th Texas State Hispanic Genealogical and Historical Conference, where I spoke on September 29th, this last weekend. This presentation is called The Vanishing Crypto Jew. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. And I'm going to be passing around this uh, scrapbook that I made instead of PowerPoint. We're going to be doing a scrapbook. It has some images and, and information about my genealogy of I know very little about genealogy, so I did the best I could, but we want to weave in the images with what I'm going to be sharing. Bear with me, I'm trying to see how it's going to be best to um, to address these issues. I'm trying to look at it from both the, the Jewish side and the secular side as well, and the historical. To kind of honor my work as a Jewish chaplain, we're going to start with a prayer. It's a prayer for the Anusim, and it was written in 1536 by Rabbi Shelmo Agabes. So you know, in Christian circles, you take off your hat when you pray. In Jewish circles, you put on a hat when you pray. So I got two hats. I got guys, uh, this hat from Yucatan that I bought in Monterrey last time I was there, and then I got my, my yarmulke. So you don't have to bow your head or anything. I just want you to see how this uh, Sephardic rabbi felt about other Jews who have been forcibly converted. And usually you hear that once people converted to Christianity, that was it. Both the Jewish community and the Christian community thought that they had changed identities and they were either gone or they were embraced into Catholicism and every trace of Judaism was gone. That's usually what you hear from historians, that's what you hear from the Jewish and the Christian community. But this is how he felt. So we're looking at um, what's out of the norm, minority reports on how people feel about uh, the Anusim or but now they're known in scholarly terms as the crypto Jews. So this is what Rabbi Shelmo Akabez said. Quote, If there be among them those who abandon their honor by converting on a better day and pray to a strange God, you alone know the heart of man. You know his hurt and the pain of his heart. In distress they called upon you, and some sanctify your name in autos de fez. Nonetheless, they kept your Torah, neither leaving nor abandoning it. Now their spirit moves to go up to Mount Zion, the Lord's mountain, to delight in, their, in its stones and to rebuild the dust of its ruins. All assembled to come to you, they take their lives in their hands and set forth by the sea for the land. So it's not like, almost like a prophetic thing that even though they're being held captive to a different religion, within them, their souls they have this connection to the Jewish people. So again, uh, I'm not here to preach anything. I've, I've had bad experiences where just because I share my experience or just because I share wh what I've done, people think that I'm like pushing stuff down their throat. And it's just interesting that sometimes they don't see that every religion in its own way does that. Every religion thinks that they're supreme or that they're greater. That's why people believe it, because they feel called by God for a special purpose. So, it's the same for the Jewish community, but I don't know if you guys are familiar with in the last 40, 50 years, there's been interfaith dialogue between Catholics and Jews. And it was started by Abraham Joshua Heschel. He's, uh, he's very famous for marching with Martin Luther King in Selma and being a, a representative of the Jewish community who was fighting for equal rights. His ancestry was in the Holocaust and he was able to get out so he saw that there was a time to stand up for others. Right? And he wishes that people would do that for the Jews. But when he started the dialogue with the Vatican in the 1960s, he said that there needed to be a framework to be able to have a true interfaith dialogue. And what he said was that 
there's three things that, that we need to think about as we're moving from one religion to another and trying to understand each other. As a Jew, he felt that the dialogue should involve not assuming the words of the other person. And he spoke that from himself. He's like, Jews should not be stereotyped by the predominant religion. He also felt that at times, when, they try, when you try to have a uh, conversation between Christians and Jews, they'll send a uh, convert to Christianity. They'll send a, a Jew who became a priest, a Messianic Jew, or somebody like that, to start a dialogue, and automatically the Jewish community shuts down. Because that's what they did uh, right before the expulsion. They would send uh, inquisitors who used to be Jewish to the synagogues to convert people, and to show them from their own tradition that Judaism was wrong. So automatically the Jewish community feels uh, attacked or shut down when that happens. And then the third thing that he said is that we should respect each other's religion. That we should take what a religion says seriously. So when we look at Jewish views about the Anusim or the crypto-Jews or Corbersos, uh, there's a lot of different views. And the ones that you hear often are, are the extreme views or the more strict ones. And the same goes from Catholics or Christians. Catholics interpret the teachings of Paul to be, once a Jew believes in Jesus, their Jewish identity is gone. And what I want to propose is that if you look at uh, history, and now there's this reclaiming of Jewish history from the New Testament in the first century, you see both uh, John the Baptist, Jesus, James the brother of Jesus, even Paul, who usually is seen as someone who denied his Jewish ancestry, as all practicing Judaism. They go to the temple, they pray in the synagogue, and even though they debate with other Jews, they debate as fellow Jews. So just something to think about, because again, it's easy to dismiss someone who said, oh, well, I found out that I'm Jewish, and now I'm trying to reclaim my Jewish identity. Oh, well, you're confirmed and baptized Catholic, so what are you doing? You're either denying the faith that your parents gave you, or you're blaspheming God, or you're attacking Christianity, when what they need to see is that even the followers of Jesus, they had dual identities. They had their commitment to Jesus, and they also had this national identity of being part of the Jewish people. So can crypto-Jewish people who were forcibly converted to Catholicism, can they do the same? Can they reclaim their Jewish identity and be considered part of the Israelites or the Jewish people? And can they either keep their personal beliefs or transcend them and have a a more classical Jewish perspective. That's the other thing that people wonder. It's like, so what happens uh, when someone decides to reclaim their Jewish identity? And how are they viewed by the Jewish people, uh, the modern Jewish people, in the process? So uh, Jewish identity is comprised of two key components, ethnic identity and religious practice. But our interaction with the non-Jewish world has engaged and at times challenged both of these concepts. As a student of Jewish tradition and history, I've often drawn some contemporary approaches which can draw people closer to God. Sometimes when people, again, when they look at the extreme or, or radical views, they, they go to like traditionalists. So traditionalists, Catholics, or Protestants, traditionalist Jews, they're, they're very close, and they only work within their circles. So if anybody comes from an outside perspective, they dismiss them. So when we look at modern Judaism or modern Catholicism who have been working in interfaith relations, you see a more open understanding. People are not automatically deemed as heretics, they're not automatically dismissed. And um, what I think is important is that um, 
for, for the crypto Jewish problem, and the reason I, I call it a problem is because it's something that it's like the elephant in the room. Like, what's going to happen to people that find out about their Jewish ancestry? Are they going to do anything with it, or is it going to fade away? Because we can have uh, a conversation about what our ancestors used to do and where they came from, but how does it move on to the next generation? And we've seen not only in the normative Jewish community, but in the people who have uh, Jewish ancestry, is that it's kind of fading away. Like people are disinterested in in keeping those traditions alive or reclaiming them. Um, so that's why I call my presentation the the vanishing crypto Jew. Um, in, in 1997, Alan Dershowitz wrote the book The Vanishing American Jew in search for a Jewish identity for the next century. In it, he describes how American Jews are being driven to extinction. He makes a case regarding how Jewish identity is fading away due to secularization, intermarriage, and assimilation. I'm sorry to bring bad news, but as someone familiar with these concerns, I'll tell you that the same goes for crypto Jews, or the hidden Jews of the Southwest. Uh, they're vanishing, but even at a greater rate, because they're not, like, the Jewish community knows what they're dismissing or what they're not wanting to be part of, especially the younger generations. The, the people who find out about their Jewish ancestry, either they're unfamiliar with Judaism, or they feel that Judaism is like an old religion that is kind of uh, too forceful. So they, it becomes like, it's a nice historical thing to know, oh, well, we have a Jewish ancestry, but why claim it for yourself? Why, why do that? And what I, in my experience, there's a lot of factors that contribute to that. There are many traditions of Jewish origin among uh, Latin American families, but the biggest hurdle to overcome is the Mexican denial of their own history and the whitewashing of Jewish identity among the conquistadors, pioneers, and settlers. Even in our time, it has taken American scholars to uncover the real history of the founders of the Nuevo Reino de León, modern state of Nuevo León, and the bordering states in Mexico and the U.S. Another factor is how Mexico is divided within racial and economic lines. As many of us now, as many of us know, Mexican culture and history is very complicated. So as we look at the history of the Jews of Mexico, we must ask the following questions. Who are these people? Crypto Jews or descendants of the unseen, Sepharditas or Comersos? And why is it important uh, for this uh, suppressed identity to come to the surface? Um, in the cover of the scrapbook that is going around, I made a, a few paintings as a mosaic of all the last names that I've been able to gather from my family. And then there's a painting of a burning bush, who in this instance can be connected to a genealogical tree. And then there's a, a painting of Moses, one of Aaron, and one of Miriam. And the, the prophet Micah um, sees them as our spiritual ancestors. In chapter 6, uh, verse 4 of his book, it says, quote, For I brought you... Uh, out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage and I said before Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. So it's interesting, people usually don't talk about Miriam, but she is one of the, the foundational like patriarchs of, of the Jewish people, so for those feminists out there, uh, we have a godly uh, Jewish woman that you can look up to. We should people say, oh, in the Bible all the women are, are troublemakers. Well, Miriam was a, was a holy woman who's, who's well respected. Um, and what I believe is, is for, for us, um, I don't call myself a crypto Jew because a crypto Jew is someone who's hidden. I'm an open Jew or, a, or out of the closet Jew. So uh, we need to come up with our own new iconography. You know, Catholics and Orthodox Christians are very good at portraying their beliefs in art. And, and everybody's very familiar with their icons. 
we have our own iconography and that's Jewish art. So in one of the, at, at the end of the book, there's a there's an art piece done by a by a Sephardic Jew from England, and he makes a painting of Moses and Aaron with Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments are in Spanish. So it's interesting that you see little traces of Jewish art, but Jewish art is a little bit different. There's not as much veneration of it or um, emphasis on it, but you see it in, in uh, religious books such as the Haggadah during Passover. They've done illuminated versions of that. And there's other art that has become popular lately. Um, so most people have limited knowledge of their religious traditions and see either Jewish or Christian communities as followers of either the Talmud or the New Testament. However, we're more than believers of different interpretation of God's word of Torah. We're the totality of our culture, family traditions, individual predilections, and nations of origin. It takes an uh, amount of sophistication to be able to differentiate among concepts and navigate through the force of history. Um, very few people know about Sephardic history. Sephardic are the Jews of Spain and Portugal. Uh, or understand the complicated history of Latin American conversos. They are an important population of both Southwest United States and North Mexico. Many people are also not aware that Judaism thrived in Spain for a thousand years before it was dispersed among the communities around um, the Mediterranean, Middle East, North Africa, Western Europe, and the Americas. To claim Jewish ancestry in Latin American uh, circles is often familiar or social suicide. There's a religious bias and a combination of other faiths. When I grew up in Monterrey, Mexico, there was people you stayed away from. The Alleluios, those are the evangelicals or Jehovah's Witnesses, and then the Jews and the term Jew, and I have a whole paper about it, the term Jew in Spanish actually does not mean just Jew. It means like almost like a demoniac. It means someone who is who's outside of, of God's kingdom. Like you just the way they say it, like just uh, last Thursday I, uh, I met a guy from Hidalgo and, and I was complaining about how when we lived in Cancun they would make fun of us because we were from Monterrey. And he's like, Well you know why we make fun of you guys. And I'm like, What do you mean? It's like the whole thing about being Colo or cheap. That's because of the, the darn Jews. And I'm, and I'm like, I thought it was because they knew that the, the Monterey was founded by, by Jews. And they're like, no, it's the darn Jews that came in the 1800s and started the breweries and all the businesses. And they were so cheap that they would squeeze a lemon and they would keep the lemon for later and drink the juice. And I'm like, where does he get this stuff from? And then, what's wrong with being economical? Well, we have nothing. Like, uh, a friend of mine, Rabbi Peter Carlo, he says that Monterrey was a desert. There was nothing there. So for people to survive, they had to become really tough. And my grandfather was a cowboy. So, of course, you gotta, like, you have limited resources. But if anybody else does that, all their geniuses. But if a Jew does that, all the Jews, they're always like that. And uh, my father-in-law, who's not Jewish, he asked me, so all those Jews that came to America, were they rich before they came? And I'm like... They were getting killed in Russia, they were getting killed in Germany, they came with nothing. Just like a lot of us as immigrants came to America with nothing. But because in Judaism, we value education, both religious and secular, they have become well-to-do and they've done well for themselves, and now they're like, ah, they're controlling the world. They own all the banks. And it's like, because they've worked hard and they, they get in, so that's a different setup. Uh, so, um, let's... Um, Let's move on to uh, the issue of uh, 
How, how does someone claim a Jewish identity uh, being born in Mexico or Texas? Um, this is something that happened to me, and it, it, was, it was embarrassing because they put you on the spot. So I've gotten flagged from the, from the Christian side of the family or, or the Catholics that I've encountered, but then you get flagged from the Jewish community here in America. And I work for nonprofits, and there's a lot of Jews who are involved in, in that. This, uh, this Ashkenazi or Eastern European Jewish lady volunteer, out of the blue, we we're all in, 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 at work, uh, and she, she says, how is it that you're both Jewish and Mexican? <laughs> That's weird. And, and, I, and all the Latinos in the room looked at me and like, yeah, we've been wondering, you've been saying you're Jewish. <laughs> but I'm like, I, I should have told them, like, you know the guy Machete, Danny Trejo? There's a movie with cars, and he plays a character named Goldberg. And they're like, how is it that you're Jewish and Mexican? And he's like, I killed all the other Jews. <laughs> so my, my answer was actually very similar. I said, well, it is strange that, that I'm Jewish and Mexican, because other than, than me and a few uh, other Spanish-Portuguese Jews, they're all dead. And they're like, what? It's like, they were hunted down by the Inquisition all the way to the Philippines. So if they're hunting you down, you go undercover, you go you hide. And uh, people did that during World War II. We're going to get to that because it's an interesting story that is related to that. But it's just uh, just because they're ignorant about your history, that doesn't mean that it never happened. And like I said, American scholars have been um, bringing this stuff up. So, so now it's like a battle of truths. And this response was not meant to shock or ruin anyone's day, but it was meant to educate Eastern European Jews of our shared history of persecution, but this time in the Americas. The modern Jewish population in Mexico, who are mostly descendants of German, Polish, and Russian immigrants, would say that there was no Jews when they got there in the 1800s. However, there is enough historical evidence to the contrary. So as we look at the history of the Jews of Mexico, I'll share now how I found out about my heritage in the process of learning about the subject. As you can see in the first page of the scrapbook, there are pictures of my parents getting married, as well as my wife and I after a Jewish wedding in 2012. My last names and the limited genealogical information uh, is all I've been able to gather so far. On my mom's side of the family, they're very secretive. And, uh, you know, if you ask them something, they're like, whatever, like, you don't know what you're talking about. And they don't keep records. Uh, I'm gonna, there's a funny story about what my grandma told us that I'm going to get to, but we have these names that are, I looked it up, and it's the most common name in Spain. So it's like, I'm Smith. So Smith, Mexican. How are you Jewish? Yes, sir. Pettis, I thought, was the most common name in Spain. Well, uh, I was looking at Wikipedia, so maybe they gave me the wrong name. <laughs> the, the one interesting part is that my mom's last is actually Arabic, and the most famous one was an inquisitor. So now I'm saying that I'm Jewish because we used to kill Jews. And, um, so, but it happens that Tokemai and a lot of those guys were of Jewish ancestry. And some of the saints, Maya uh, Teresa de Avila, she was um, a Jewish ancestry. But the Arabic is interesting for me because there's a famous Jewish scholar, Ibn Ezra, and it shows that when the Muslims took over uh, around the 10th century, they took Arabic names. So Ibn is son of, and Ezra is a Hebrew name. So it, it shows that we have a very complicated history, and it's not easy. You know, I can say, oh, well, I'm Arabic. It's like, well, you got to show, and also that the Arabic community would accept this. And of course, they like. Well, we'll talk more about that later. But like, there's a lot of prejudice from different groups on 
what it means to be a member of the community. Um, so I have spent the last 10 years researching Jewish history and before, during, and after the explosion of the Jews of Spain. Uh, the documentation process began when I was 22 years old and I stumbled across the book, The Marker, Luis de Carvajal, A Secret Jew in 16th Century Mexico by Martin Cohen, one of the founders of the Nuevo Reino de Leon, uh, the state of the new Spain, now modern day Mexico. When I came to America at age 15, I had never heard that Monterrey was uh, built by conversos, or there was Jews anywhere. It was just this, you know, very, like, it's all, they're very, uh, they focus on the Spaniards. They don't really care about the indigenous people either. The Spaniards came, they took over, everything's great, and let's move on. Uh, so the Spanish Portuguese Jews who had minimal involvement with the indigenous community is something that, that I also came across and settled in north of Mexico, most likely converted late during colonial times or early during the persecution of Spain. We were, as, as I grew up, we were proud of being criollos or pure Spanish, or pure Spanish heritage. Until I read the book, I did not realize that the reason that everybody has the same last names, there's one relative that is Trevino Trevino, it's because they were married their cousins. And in Catholicism, that's actually weird. Like, why would you marry your family members? But in Judaism, it's because you want to keep the familial connection and it's the endogamy. So uh, my parents and grandparents, uh, that you can see in the scrapbook, were of low middle class roots. My mom's parents were ranchers and my dad's parents were blue collar workers. Um, I was born um, eight years before the pistol crash and we came to America when I was uh, 15. My dad came to America and it took seven years for us to migrate. Uh, and we came over here for better economic opportunities. But, um, so this is the funny thing about my grandma. So as I've been doing the research, uh, before my, my grandma on my mom's side died, we asked her, what do you know about our ancestry? And she's like, oh yeah, we, uh, we came from Spain, but we landed in Acapulco. Wow, did you go around the world? Because they went from the Atlantic Ocean and landed in the Pacific. And uh, so that's all she knew. She, they had no records, uh, they had very little education. So uh, the, the one thing that we know is they were ranchers, and, and she married the head rodeo guy in Mexico, so in Monterrey de Cochareadas. And, uh, and what's uh, strange is that my, my grandfather on my mom's side, his name is Aradio. And I've never heard that name anywhere. Um, so it turns out that Arad is a Hebrew or Arabic name. And it's also Arad was a place in the Bible near Masada. It is mentioned in Judges chapter 1, verse 16. He was a vaquero. And I only went to one of the Chariados once when I was nine. And I was so like taken aback because they, uh, they make a hole in the ground, they stick a rooster, and then you're supposed to gallop and pull the rooster from the head. Uh, could, you spell, could you spell that last name? Oh, that's, his first name is uh, Aradio. A-R-A-D-I-O. So, um, animal cruelty aside, uh, that was my only uh, experience with the virility and pride of being a Mexican cowboy. Um, they moved to the city uh, when my mom was young, and um, they always bragged about having Spanish blood. And I don't know if you guys heard, but a lot of uh, crypto Jews, conversos, they, they always say, we're, we're Spaniards, we're not from Mexico, we're Spaniards. And in our, in our family, there's, uh, like I have blonde hair and blue eyes when I was little and then it went away. So they, they thought they were also like German or something. 
And then you find out that there was Visigoths in Spain, and even Gonzalez has some German roots, and Gutierrez has some German roots. And you tell that to an American, and they're like, whatever, man. You're just a Mexican. So, so we went from being white in Mexico to being Mexicans over here, and it was really weird because it's this, this sense of entitlement, like, you know, talk about white privilege. In Mexico, there's like a sense of a white privilege, but we were poor. So we're privileged of nothing. Like, we, we just think <laughs> about that. Um, and then um, my grandfather, if you look at him in the picture, he looks like the typical Ashkenazi or Eastern European Jew. But he had, like, reddish skin from being out in the sun. And then my grandma, she looked more Mediterranean with her being having wavy hair and tan skin. And she was the most racist of all. Like, she, she really, like, made sure, like, when I met my wife was from Chicago, I, even though I couldn't stand my grandma, I had to get grandma's blessing for me to marry her. So that's something of the matriarchy of, of conversions as well. My mother was raised in a typical Mexican household where children were sheltered from the world and women were raised to be mothers. She was the youngest woman of five children, and she was devoted to her family and God from a young age. You know, they say that a lot of the conversos, they were very religious in the Catholic sense. A lot of them became priests and nuns. Her grandfather had a, a Protestant Bible. And according to Maria Teresa Hernandez from the University of Houston, a Protestant Bible were banned in Mexico. So you were in trouble for holding a, a Protestant Bible, and he picked names from the Bible for his children. He picked Absalom, Aaron, and Aradio for his children. So I find that strange. Some people say, oh, well, he was Protestant, or he was like pro-evangelical. Okay, so then, but there was this thing like, this is name for Jews that I, that I learned as a kid um, very quickly, and then still like, in Mexico, there are very few Jews, so it's interesting that it teaches that they were the Christ killers. And, um, and if you look in the, in the book, there's a picture of the church, and they have a painting of Jesus reading the Torah. But it's amazing to see Jewish art at a Catholic church of Mexico. You might see a little bit of, of pro-Jewish stuff here throughout the years, but all Mexican art, and, and I'm an artist, it's all very medieval. And there's an image of, of they were painting the synagogue as a woman blindfolded and, um, and like dropping the, the Ten Commandments. And there's even an image in a book that I have. There's a book that has an image of Jesus burying the Old Testament in a coffin. That's how extreme it went from this idea that Judaism is gone. It's from the Anne Frank Institute. Uh, they've been compiling anti-Semitic images uh, through the years. So um, on my dad's side of the family, they were more agnostic or even pagan. My father prides himself in being very scientific. His upbringing was more confusing than concrete as my mother's. His grandfather was involved with an indigenous woman, a taboo for criollos, Spanish descendants, who sold themselves superior to the native population of Mexico. As an outcast, he married her outside the church and ended up dying at an early age, leaving his children fatherless. His dad was involved in raising the other children, and he ended up marrying my grandmother later in life. My grandmother was a hoot. Uh, if you look at pictures, she's very beautiful, but she most likely suffered from uh, undiagnosed schizophrenia. So, so she dealt with her demons by going to shamans, witch doctors, and female faith healers. She was very competitive, like she was always pinning her kids against other people's and stuff. And my dad had to deal with a very passive father and a very crazy mother. At age five, they came to America, they came to Chicago. And back then, you could just walk in, and you need anything. So they, they became residents of the U.S., and then when the war broke out, uh, and they were drafting people into to go for Vietnam, uh, grandma said, let's go back to Mexico. So then he met my mom, 
and they dated for three years and got married. Being a co of conversion background is complicated since the Jews uh, who chose to convert instead of being executed were, many of them were forcibly baptized, including their children. Their descendants uh, knew about their past and suddenly chose to practice Judaism in secret. However, this was a mortal sin and a crime punishable by death, making it almost impossible for them to stay connected to Judaism. The longer the time passed, indoctrinated Catholicism. In the scrapbook, I include pictures of my grandmother, Elisondo, uh, the lady who, who was in Santeria. Her, her name was Petra. And Petra, you know, we think, oh, in Latin it means rock, but in Ladino it means black. So that's something that I just found out and I, I thought it was very interesting. And Jews have been rebellious to the mainstream religion from beginning, like from the Roman times through the medieval Catholics from all of Europe. And but Santeria is even more problematic than Catholicism for Jews because it goes further and further away from monotheism. But Santeria Monterrey incorporates practices and symbols and elements of the clash of different cultures, including the mestizaje of Spanish, indigenous, and Afro-Cuban Afro traditions all blended together. And you know, growing up in Mexico, you're exposed to superstition, including uh, practical magic, or, or what is known as santeria. And I believe that crypto-Jews were drawn to that because when you're forced to be part of a, another religion and they take away your community and your education, um, Jews have turned into the occult to fill in the gap for the daily observance. The curanderos or modern-day shamans help my grandma deal with her illness. And on the other side of the family, it's interesting, uh, from my mom's side, she was interested in home remedies. She, she grew medicinal uh, plants, and you know they would have like olive trees, walnut trees, rosemary, basil, peppermint, aloe vera. But there's a thing about conversos having trees from the land of Israel, such as pomegranates, lime trees, and fig trees. And we're celebrating Sukkot, where you have the lulav and the etrog. The etrog is like a, similar to, to a lime. And um, so that was an identifier. Like other crypto Jews would know that that's a Jewish house because they have those uh, trees from the land of Israel. There's many strange customs that we grew up in, such as uh, covering mirrors when someone dies and being healed by an egg. And I always thought that being healed with the egg, where they spirit it and they rub it all around your body, and then when they crack it, if, if it's whole, somebody gave you the evil eye. That's actually from Moroccan Jews who practice Kabbalah. I always thought it was indigenous, but there's a document that proves that it comes from the Mediterranean, and all around the Mediterranean, if you go to Greece, they have a thing about the evil eye. Go to Israel, they have the Hemsa, supposed to keep you from the evil eye. So this, it was carried all the way down to people of Monterrey. And in the scrapbook, you will see images of both sides of the family and their last names, and you guys know more about their connections, but the most significant name is Trevino, which has been confirmed by Stanley Hortz from the site of Crypto Day Studies as the Converso last name. My mother family originates from Santa Rosa, Nuevo León, a small town located between Apodaca and General Escobedo, who has in his history uh, Jerónimo Trevino, who founded the villa in 1868. Uh, this town is not to be confused with General Trevino, Nuevo León, another town which he also built. The importance of Trevino is that the, my relatives are mostly Trevinos on both sides, and their uh, father and mother, and there's a famous Judaizer, Tomás Trevino Sobremonte, He's from a different part of Mexico, but it's just interesting that um, you know, he's one of the first Carvajal and then Trevino Sobremonte that American scholars have looked into, and they don't question them being Jews, even though they have been Catholics for like 200 years. That's what's interesting is like they say, oh, well, it's been too long. Like if you tell a, a modern Jew, I've been out of Jewish ancestry, well, it's been 500 years, 20 generations, how can you claim to be Jewish? 
Well, there is a remonte and Carvajal, uh, most likely their families converted in the 1390s, and they died in the 1500s. So it's been 100, 200 years, but they were so fervent and they were Judaizers that nobody has the question of, they don't question uh, claiming them as Jews because they were risking their lives to share Jewish practices with other conversos. And then there's a famous Agapito Trevino, El Caballo Blanco from the Corrido, and they, there's been something about we're related to him. Uh, so my father comes from Apodaca, which according to Gustavo Garza Guajardo in his book, Las Cabeceras Municipales de Nuevo León, Fundadores, Nombres y Decretos, written in 1986, it was funded by Don Gaspar Castaño de Sosa, who sounds Portuguese to me. And that, I've been trying to find the Portuguese connection because crypto Jews or, or Jews who forcibly converted or who didn't want to get converted, they moved to Portugal and then they went to Mexico. And there were so many of them that being Portuguese was seen as being Jewish. And then this guy actually arrived in the area in 1583 and he left after being persecuted by the Inquisition. So, you know, there's, it's like detective work sometimes trying to find this stuff. The play was bought by Diego de Montemayor, who in 1585 later sold the villa to Don José de Treviño, another Treviño, and as documented José Treviño in 1604 owned many haciendas and was one of the richest men of Nuevo León. I'm going to need help from you guys when we're done with this because I'm still yeah. trying to piece, piece he, together. He came in with the most settlers and the most cattle and the most people. So for what is recorded, uh, they, they found in San Alvo first, then Monterrey, and then Cadereyta, all towns that I knew as a child. My father's hometown was originally called Labor de Castaño, which was, it was founded in 1851, and it became San, San Francisco de Apodaca in 1982, two years after I was born. We've always known it as Apodaca, and he's from an area of Apodaca called Minala. I want to discuss my encounter with Judaism because that, I think it goes back to uh, you know, how does it all fit together. So, as you see in the, in the book, there's uh, Holy Family Parish, and uh, I saw those. Um, those images of Jesus uh, holding the Torah, and then there's uh, the child in the temple, and there's a menorah behind him, and that's very strange. Like, uh, so I'm still yet to find the artist who did them. But the image of Jesus uh, reading from the Torah is of significance because um, French Catholic painter James Tissot went to Israel, and he would draw at the synagogue, and from there he made a famous painting of Jesus reading from Isaiah at the start of his mission. And the artist decided to modify the image. Instead of having a 30-year-old Jesus, it has a, a young man, clean-shaven, reading from the Torah, so it looks like a, a bar mitzvah. And uh, it doesn't seem like the normal aliyah of the calling to say to read the blessings from the Torah. Uh, so I wonder if he, there's something that he's trying to convey. And um, the way that I came across the crypto-Jewish experience is when I was in my 20s, I met a couple from Venezuela who shared with me about the Sephardic last names and traditional Latin American uh, families. With this information, I decided to go to the Jewish student organization at the university. And I asked the rabbi about this history. He's the one that handed me a copy of The Martyr by Cohen, uh, the book about Carvajal. But he told me something that, that I think people should consider. He said, there's two questions you have to ask yourself and that the Jewish community is going to ask you. Do you consider yourself Jewish? And does the Jewish community consider you Jewish? And he's a reformed Jew, so you would think that liberal Jews would be a little more open, but I think it's a very wise perspective because uh, when you deal with identity and multiple identities, you have to be accountable to the people that you're claiming to be part of. Um, it's kind of like, when I came from Mexico, I had a lot of resentment towards Mexico. 
and I would try to differentiate myself. Well, I'm a Mexican-born American, and I became a Mexican U.S. citizen. And I had a, a friend of mine, he's like, man, you're just Mexican. No matter how you put it. Like, oh, we were just passing through, whatever. You're Mexican because that's how the other people see you. You can say, oh, I'm a Spaniard, or I'm a crypto Jew, whatever. It's like, if they see you as, as a Mexican, you can't run from it. So then, the same thing goes when you claim to be Jewish. They're like, oh, you're just a Mexican who thinks he's all that, or he wants to be Jewish because of this or that. So now we go to the, in the scrapbook, there's an image of a priest performing mass, and then in the other image, he's, he has a yarmulke on, and he's praying. And it's from the movie Torn, which asks the question, can one be a Catholic priest and an observant Jew at the same time? It's the story of a Polish Catholic priest, Romuald Waskinel, who discovered he was born to Jewish parents and that his name was Jacob Wesler. The film follows his journey from conducting mass in church in Poland to a life as an observant Jew in a religious kibbutz in Israel. Romulet is torn between two identities between Romulet Waskinel and Jacob Wesler. He's unable to renounce either and therefore is rejected by both religions and the state of Israel. I can talk about at length about the family Jewish traditions. Uh, and the main issue, like, for him it's not an issue because um, Eastern European Jews were hand, like some, some people were, were being persecuted by the Nazis and they would hand over the kid to a German family, a Polish family and be like, can you raise them for me? And pretend that they were baptized or whatever, baptized them, I don't care, as long as they live. So then he finds out that his parents were killed in the Holocaust and there's no question. He's Jewish by parentage. Well, for us, if you were to go to a rabbi and say, you know, I find out that I have Jewish ancestry because of migration patterns or last names or traditions, they're like, okay, do you got any paperwork? And it's like, from where? And it's like, well, it's just very simple. You know, go up to your grandma and say, can I have a copy of your wedding document, your ketubah? And it's like, we haven't had ketubahs in 500 years. <laughs> and like, well, I'll just make sure you got to convert. So, uh, so that's the issue. It's like, just like uh, if, you, if you were to go to the Catholic Church and say, uh, hey, we're getting married. They're like, well, do you have a copy of your baptism? There's, there has to be a, a paper trail. So it's not that they're being sticklers. They just want to make sure that everything is kosher. Uh, so when we're asked about when we're asked to document our ancestry moves, look at modern history such as how during the Holocaust in 1940 the survivors had little information left since the persecutors burned all their documents the same goes for victims of the Inquisition uh, we don't want to be defensive but we must stand our ground sometimes and let people know that just because they're not familiar with their history doesn't mean that it never happened after I started doing my research I met an observant Sephardic Jew from Dallas who was working on a doctoral dissertation about the secret Jews of Spain and Portugal, and he felt that for me to reclaim my Jewish identity, it, it involved a, a process of education. So in the Torah, like in tra Jewish tradition, it says, what is better, to know or to do? The more you know, the more you do. So in Jewish uh, classical Judaism, keeping the commandments is important, but if you don't know how to keep them, if you don't know why you keep them, then they lose uh, their purpose. So that's why having an education is important in Jewish circles. And he felt that the path for us is to build a Jewish education, to build a Jewish identity. So the challenge is that this hasn't been an easy path for me. Uh, you never hear a welcome back from the Jewish community. Uh, although some people consider uh, the religious boundaries created by different religions as imaginary, arbitrary, or confining, they are important. I, I met people who tell me, 
God told me I'm Jewish. That's it. I don't care what anybody thinks. And they're like, well, in your world, in your law land, that's wonderful. But what about your children? What about your future? To achieve the goal from being a crypto Jew to a member of the Jewish people, many have tried to work with the mainstream Jewish community achieving varying results. There are issues of discrimination and ignorance, which have pushed some of us to build smaller subgroups of descendants of crypto Jews. But and by having our own scholars, we have regained the practice of Judaism and have the goal of learning and growing in our identity without feeling pressured or conflicted about who we are. At the Society of Crypto Judaic Studies, there's been reporters and other people who say the only reason that the Latinos are claiming to be Jewish is because they want to claim some type of royal ancestry, like I'm a descendant of Jesus or something like that. They think that, that oh, they just want to put a, a little honor on their lapel. It's actually, like I said, suicide, because you start getting attacked on all sides. The Jewish community thinks you're a phony, and then the Catholics think you're a traitor, and you're actually condemned. It's, it's not as, as pretty of a picture as, as people might think that we're just trying to claim something we're not. But, so when you start getting beat up on both sides, how do you d develop enough strength to keep going? So there's discrimination, ignorance. Uh, we can start our own groups. I've met a lot of different groups throughout Texas, and they all have different uh, quirkiness about them or different ways. You're usually isolated. They, they, they feel a little rejection, and they become very intense. The goal to develop and grow in a Jewish identity uh, should be away from, from feeling pressure. And, and we have to remember the lack of religious practice from our ancestors came from living in a hostile world. Now that we're in a, in a free country where Jews are a protected religious group, we have the opportunity to make them proud by reclaiming our traditions. I believe it's important to normalize our experience by joining the rest of Jewish people in their journey and integrate identifiable Jewish rituals and experiences in our lives to develop a, a new identity that can survive the test of time. So the process of study of Judaism for me has been long and has been involved uh, developing confidence in who, what I know and, and who I am. Uh, a friend of mine in an unpublished sociology paper, he speaks of three types of crypto-Jews or conversos. The traditional crypto-Jew, the historical one, and the mystical one. So he says that a traditional crypto-Jew is someone who wants to be a religious Jew. So whatever way, through conversion or through, you know, we, we uh, my friend and I in Dallas, we propose a, a return to Judaism, and we can talk more about it. There's a, a Rabbi um, Garcia, in uh, Arizona or New Mexico who proposed that too. That's the traditional cryptogen. The historical one is someone like, like yourselves or people who are interested in genealogy and you and it's kind of like detective work to find our Jewish roots. And then there's the mystical one, like I said, people who feel that God is, is calling them to be Jews or that he told them they're Jews. And I think we should be all three. I think that the, it should be a multi-layered identity. Just because we know that our ancestors were Jewish, uh, somebody told us, or grandparents told us, or something like that, or we have evidence of the historical sources, or we feel spiritually connected to Jewish people, all these possibilities by themselves are not enough. We also cannot feel stuck feeling second-class citizens. If you go to the different synagogues, there's a Sephardic Orthodox synagogue, there's two Reformed synagogues, the Mexicans are always sitting in the back. Even the ones who have already converted and are accepted, they ghettoize themselves and they feel like, not part of the community. So that's why we started our own community where, I guess, the white people sit in the back of it. <laughs> the reality that Jews are facing today is alarming. The number of Jews in the world is decreasing. We're only between 13 and 18 million in the whole world. It's only 0.3% of the whole population. The declining numbers is because of intermarriage assimilation. And in the past years, since I've been presenting about crypto-Judaism, 
it seems like uh, at a greater degree, uh, crypto-Jewish medicines are losing any sense of identity and the traditions are fading away. Um, there's a lot of competing things like, again, allegiance to the home religion or family pressure. In the scrapbook, you see an image of a woman holding a scroll of the law or Torah. And that's a painting I made. And she's surrounded by an angel and a lion with a crown moving forward. That's the new iconography that I proposed. An iconography where the synagogue is triumphant and then it's not dead or blind as depicted in Catholic art through the centuries. Uh, this image is influenced by a medallion by Rose Collar, who is called the Spirit of the Synagogue. And usually they would depict uh, the synagogue or, or Jewish people as blind and demonic and stuff like that. So I think that, uh, you know, everybody's had different experiences. Uh, my friend Jay was telling me that when we meet people and we tell them about, you know, we're reclaiming our Jewish ancestry or we're, we're Jews, they have this, like, they remember all the bad experiences they've had with one Jew. And it's like uh, collective punishment. We get blamed for all the bad things that one guy did. So I just wanted you, if, if you hear me out, just, just know that uh, I am a, I'm a cameraman and there's a, there's a radio station that says, don't hate the media, become the media. So it's like, don't hate the Jews, uh, be a good Jew, and then we can provide a, a better opportunities for our children. And for me, it was very important for my daughters to be born Jewish. Now we have a, a Jewish household, and we have challenges like everybody else with modernity, like how religious we want to be. But I, we're trying to create a Jewish space for our children. It's an ongoing struggle, but the struggle the Jews have gone through throughout history, when the Greeks were in power, when the Romans were in power, they were a distinct people with a distinct purpose, and they were able to make it through. So I hope that, uh, that we can encourage each other I went to Israel in 2004 and saw how Jews from all over the world had went there for different reasons. A lot of them were persecuted in the Middle East and in Europe. And you see them united as a people. And I think that I want the Banana team who are interested in keeping this identity alive for us to come together. And we might disagree on the details, but we have very few friends, we have very few people who value that part of our ancestry. And like I said, we, we have multifaceted ancestry with a lot of different things, but uh, I feel that, like I said, we have an opportunity to reclaim that heritage in a free country and to stand our ground. If We had a friend who was from Transylvania, and he was a Jew, and when, when my friend spoke about the Jews of Spain, Portugal, and Mexico, his wife was like, I never heard of no Jews in Mexico, and I'm like, I never heard of no Jews in Transylvania. <laughs> so, just because they don't know, that doesn't mean it never happened. So... I want to thank you. I don't know if there's questions. There's yeah. 10 minutes for questions. Uh, did you explain what Anasim, you keep referring to Anasim, what, can you explain what that is? So Anasim is a term in Hebrew that actually means being violated. And it was given to the children. In Jewish history, there's a thing where pirates would steal Jews, and the Jewish community would come up with the money to ransom them. So they were called the Anasim, or the violated ones. So the ter- that's, that's the most common term in Hebrew. Because crypto-Jew is a scholarly term, converso is a Catholic term, and then marano is this evil and obnoxious. Uh, they try to say marano is not that bad, but it's actually horrible. Uh, you don't want to be called marano in Mexico, so. Uh, anybody else? Back at the beginning, we talked for a minute about DNA. Can you tell us your thoughts on Well, you know, I was kind of negative about DNA. The reason that, I, that I'm not pro-DNA for, is for religious purposes. Um, when you look at any religion, it's like, can you prove that your great-great-grandma was Catholic through DNA? No. Because it's a religion. 
And Judaism is not only a religion, it's a culture, it's an ethno-religious civilization. So if say, you know, you're 5% Sephardic, well, what does that mean? That means that they've taken sample DNAs from some Spanish Jews, and then it doesn't come up, or it comes up only to a certain level. Well, again, you had Visigoths, you had Moroccans, you had all kinds of people who came to Spain, the Romans conquered Spain, and if one of them converted to Judaism, there's no way to show that it happened unless you have documents. So it could also, there's a guy who, who wrote a book that actually denies that most Jews are actually Jewish in the sense of they're not descendants of Abraham because they're descendants of the Khazars or other people. But in Judaism, that's not a problem because that's why they have a conversion process. So just like someone can become a Catholic, someone can become a Jew, and there's no way to show that in DNA. And they say, oh, well, you're too dark-skinned, or you're too light, or your nose is not big enough, or whatever. It's like, how can someone, uh, if the religion has a process of conversion, how can someone judge if you're Jewish enough without knowing the migration patterns and all that? Like, there has to be more layers to that than just DNA. I think DNA can be a, a good pointer. Like, you know, they have a thing about the ironic line. Um, so... But if you get so hung up on, on the DNA and you look at your results are very minimal, they're like, oh, well, I, I was mistaken. I'm not Jewish, so I'm, I'm out of here. Yes, sir. This is a, kind of a two-faced question. One is, uh, have you regained your Spanish, Spanish citizenship? And there's somewhat of a movement right now yes. people who want to reclaim that Spanish, Spanish citizenship because of the expulsion of the Jews. And do you think the Spanish government really is about money as opposed to really... The the Spaniards are, are, are if if I think Mexico is the most racist country in the world and they got it from the Spaniards. So this for the Spaniards to tell us we'll take you back, why wouldn't you want to go back to Spain? And then they want proof. They're like we forcibly converted you, we kicked you out, and now you have to be a member of a synagogue for us to, to, to give you citizenship. So then the Jewish community is like, yeah, convert, and then we'll make you a member of citizenship. So it's this weird situation, and I don't want to get into politics, but Spain is one of the biggest uh, anti-Israel country in, in the world. So it's, it's weird, like, some people want to move back to Israel, uh, Sephardim have always felt that Spain was their sign. So I would love to, to have access to Europe and the European Union membership, but at what cost? Like, you have to bow down to their decrees. And, and the issue that we don't support conversion is that you have to reconvert to Judaism. You've already been forced to convert to Catholicism, now you have to be forced to convert to Judaism to be accepted as a Jew. And you still might not be accepted as a Jew because people are prejudiced. So we think that we need to create our own communities and have our own rabbis who can understand our plight and not be subjugated by some other group that we've been subjugated in the past? Uh, this is not a question, it's a comment. Uh, number one, I just got back from Spain. So, northern Spain is totally anti-Jew. I mean, there is not a any resemblance there of anyone having ever been a conversion. Again, they don't want to talk about it. Southern Spain, very different. Also wanted to tell you that religions have been around for so long. In Amalfi, in the Dome. They have a convent that has the Ten Commandments in Hebrew. Because at one time, there was a Jewish temple in that church. So the mixtures in all these different countries, when you're trying to find you know, some of the research, is amazing. 
And the third thing is, is I would recommend, if you don't know Reed Heller in Dallas, you need to talk to Reed Heller. He has done incredible. He's an attorney. Uh, I think I met him once. And um, But another thing, and again, I'm not trying to be uh, discriminatory on our side, but when you have uh, Eastern European Jews of, of American, um, you know, they're part of the American, they, they come at it. It's, it's like I was watching this documentary once, and I lived in Yucatan, and they had an American explorer come, and he found a mummy inside of a, a pyramid. And the Mexican explorers and archaeologists have been there for 500 years, and they never found the mummy. So the American waltz in, and all this cool stuff happens. I feel sometimes like that with American scholars or researchers. They have found out all the stuff about Mexico and the crypto-Jewish past, but they're doing it in a very detached way because it doesn't affect them. Sometimes you get some pushback from them, or sometimes you get support from them, but it's always in a very academic way. So it's kind of, it's good because it's neutral, it doesn't get emotional like with religious people, but sometimes we have to have our own scholars, we have our own people who speak for ourselves. And the reason that there's Jewish studies programs in different universities is because they got tired of people studying the Bible from a non-Jewish perspective. So now we need uh, Spanish, Portuguese, Mexican scholars studying our history so we can bring in our side of the story and how it affects us. Have you heard of Latino preservation of the language of the Spanish? So in words such as instead of the words such as with an N instead of mucho, the preservation of the language. It's usually mostly from Turkish um, Sephardic Jews. They have a strong tradition of that and they're kind of teaching people. And I think it's, it's good, but it's it's kind of like a side issue because, uh, you know, we grew up with the word hueco, and I still haven't found, like, if it's really Ladino or not. According to Maria Teresa Hernandez, actually, it was a term for the person that knew that we were crypto Jews. So I remember hueco as, as that darn kid, like, it's a kid who misbehaves. But it's interesting that in the Passover Haggadah, there's the story of the kid who was wicked and the kid who was good and stuff like that, so maybe it has something to do with that.